I think many singers have this temperament of like, tell me how to do it right. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it with all effort and all energy, you know, but we know that the body, in addition to being strong, has to be elastic. It had, we need space. We need flexibility. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Guys, I've mentioned to you how super impressed I've been with the ease of my singing voice since I started using the Vocal Mist Nebulizer. I've been doing online shows and at first I was having a little bit of difficulty during my rehearsals. Quarantine had left my voice a little out of shape. I started to use the Vocal Mist Nebulizer as part of my vocal health routine and I have to say the smoothness, facility, and tone that I like to hear in my voice is back. I've been having some awesome shows and have been so happy with how my voice sounds and feels. The Vocal Mist is perfect for singers of all levels, public speakers, teachers, and all professional voice users. Vocal Mist is a portable tool for getting rid of dry throat, alleviating allergies, and helping your voice stay in high performance shape. The specialized hydration formula is designed to help your voice feel great and minimize the chance of vocal injury by matching what your body already does internally. Vocal Mist Hydration Formula helps give your instrument a boost without any artificial additives. It helps take the pressure off the voice, meaning less vocal fatigue. It's travel friendly and USB rechargeable. Visit myvocalmist.com and use code WORKINGSINGER2020 at checkout to get $10 off your first order. That's all one word. Working Singer 2020. You know, if this past year has been anything, it has been a time of transformation. Things are opening up again, people are getting excited, and one new thing that I'm excited about is opening the Jamila Ford Voice Studio. I've been teaching singing online and my students range from uber-talented teenagers prepping for a singing audition, novice adult singers who've always wanted to take lessons and explore their instrument, to pro singers who simply wanna get ready for that audition or that performance or that studio session and just wanna tweak a few things with that particular song. I know how it goes and I love to help. Right now, I have a few slots open for free 20-minute vocal assessments. And if this sounds like you, I would love to chat with you about your singing goals. Visit www.jamilafordvoicestudio.com forward slash free vocal assessment to schedule your free 20-minute appointment now. And let's get started. Welcome, bonjour to Le Monde. How's everybody doing? I am so excited that you're here. I am excited for you to hear this episode. I won't even gab your ears off right now because I want to get to it. But I will say uh, I've had a pretty good week. You know, I, um, you know, I talked a bit about self-care, taking care of myself. You know, this week was very rooted in exercising and feeding myself. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I, I've... Um, just in that, you know, sometimes we forget to eat, we skip meals, we don't really think about what we're putting into our bodies. It's coffee and toast or something, and then maybe you won't have anything else for hours and hours. And I just, I can't do that anymore. Um, you know, not for any reason in particular, but it would be in my head, I just don't have time to, to eat. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to go for a walk. I don't have time to see the sun. That's ridiculous. What kind of life is that? So you know, and even in my saying that, I see how harsh I am on myself. Um, but I, you know, uh, was talking to a friend of mine who has spent the past year um, exercising and taking care of herself. And I thought I would just follow suit. It's been a wacky year. But, um, you know, I just want to come out of the other side stronger and healthier. And 
So, you know, this week was just about that working around fitting everything around taking care of myself, basically. And it was nice. It was it felt very good. I felt very whole and sane and together and, you know, just knew when I was going to move and when I was going to exercise, I, I should say, and when I was going to have breakfast and lunch and dinner and my snacks in between fuel my body and fuel my mind and you know that is what everything is built around and that was a nice uh you know thing those are nice things that I will continue um because I've, I've it's so funny I've spoken with quite a few friends and it's just interesting how we gravitate towards each other and have all of these similar habits um and you know just kind of ignoring ourselves is is one of them. <laughs> it's a big thing. You can't ignore yourself. I mean, you know, we have to love ourselves. We have to, we have to. So um, I hope you're doing well. I hope that you're having, you know, epiphanies of, of your own. And I hope that my sharing this stuff helps you. And, um, and I hope it benefits you. Um, so Shauna Fallahi is... Our guest this week and she is wonderful I'm gonna read a little bit about her for to introduce her to you and then we're just gonna get right into it because she is amazing this is one of my favorite favorite episodes so today's guest Shauna Fallahi is creator of embodied singer embodied singer is a multidisciplinary approach to vocal artistry with fact-based vocal pedagogy at the heart Movement practices, myofascial release techniques, and meditation support the exploration and development of breath, resonance, and musical artistry. Shauna has practiced, I'm sorry, Shauna has presented workshops and clinics for numerous choral organizations and colleges in San Francisco Bay Area, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and serves on the faculties of Holy Names University and City College San Francisco. She has done a lot of teaching. Um... And she has had the privilege of mentoring many professional singers, choral conductors, and fellow voice teachers. And this is all the stuff we love. I've talked to so many of you, and I know that we are, you know, so um, devoted to knowing ourselves better and being better people and becoming more empowered and embodied singers. And with that, I introduce to you Shauna Fallahi. Um, so Shauna, welcome. I'm so excited that you are here. Thanks for joining. Yay. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having yes. me. Yes. Awesome. Um, so let's just start at the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I am from the San Francisco Bay Area. Specifically, I'm from Oakland, California. Mm. And I've been here most of my life. I was born in LA, but we moved here when I was four. So I went through Oakland schools and really grew up in the Bay Area, which is a fantastic place to grow up it, for many reasons, but especially if you're interested in the performing arts as a kid, you like can't swing your backpack without hitting a choir or an arts camp or something. So there were a lot of opportunities for me to, to play around with that. Nice. Yeah. And uh, was your family musical? Was there a lot of music around the house growing up? No. No? Yeah, I mean, music, yeah, music yes, yeah. that they like music. Yeah. And so we would listen to, you know, Joni Mitchell or Warren Zevon or okay. whatever in the car. But no, my parents are not musicians. They have no idea where this like opera singer <laughs> child <laughs> came from. Mm. Um, but yeah, but they were very, very encouraging and supportive and, and sometimes confused by my interests. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Sometimes confused. <laughs> yeah. Um, what? Uh, so when did you start singing? How did that sort of come about for you? I started singing really early. I think that that will resonate for many of the people listening to this interview. Like I took my first voice lessons and voice classes when I was four, did my first performance of, I think, lollipop or something in a little poodle skirt yeah. when I was four years old at the, at the Oakland like Arts and Rec Center. Um, and then, and really knew that I wanted to sing from very early on. And um, I was fortunate that I was able to do uh, when I was little musical theater, but then I joined a choral program that had um, 
uh, sort of tiered program all the way up through high school mm -hmm. that focused on contemporary choral music. So we toured and competed internationally every year, pretty much every year, um, focused on some really fascinating and complex music that was composed specifically for this choral organization. Mm -hmm. So I got a really fantastic um, elite training wow. as a kid. But when I was, I think like eight or nine, I found out that there was such a thing as a music conservatory that you could go to for college, that you could like go to music school. And so I sent away to Juilliard to like get stuff. And I had Juilliard stuff on my walls when I was like a, a little kid. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't end up going to Juilliard. I went to NEC, which is a fabulous school too. Um, but I knew from very young that I wanted to pursue music in a very serious way. And I did. What school is NEC? New England Conservatory of Music in Boston. Oh, okay. Yeah. So NEC is like the primarily the classical school yeah. with Boston. People think of like Boston Conservatory, which is fabulous for musical theater and classical singing. Berkeley, which right. is well known for jazz and commercial music and other programs. And NEC actually is the oldest music conservatory in the country mm. and is um, classical and jazz and um, what's called contemporary improvisation, mm. which is sort of more a more open study program but I was I'm a classical singer so what was NEC like for you it's a good question because it was a really long time ago um NEC what was NEC like for me well I'll say that I went I moved across the country to go to a conservatory which is basically like a graduate level program mm -hmm. when you're really young when I was 17 so and I was bringing with me a lot of challenges in terms of like anxiety and depression and other things that I think made it difficult to be in that environment. But on the other hand, I was like where I felt I was meant to be. Mm. So I loved being completely immersed in music coursework and everyone around me was a musician and I could just completely be absorbed in that information and in that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And then also it's hard, you know, to be to be in that environment for anybody and definitely hard for an adolescent with the all the challenges of being an adolescent. So it was a it was a mixed experience, but I think for me overall it was it was definitely a good program for me. It absolutely fed into my like nerdness. You know, I got to take a lot of theory and a lot of music history and all kinds of amazing classes. I took like I remember one semester taking a um, seminar on the piano sonatas of Beethoven. And I was the only non-pianist in this class, mm. but I just like loved it. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, it was kind of music nerd heaven for sure. Mm. And how did yeah. you get, uh, sort of navigate professionally after you graduated? Because I've heard it's kind of a tough road, you know, the classical road, it can be. So how was that? For yeah, you? it definitely can. I think, you know, there are many different roads that people can take. The sort of traditional road that a singer expects themselves to follow is like you would do a conservatory program or a high level you know university program for undergrad then you'd go to a master's program in voice then you you know do a bunch of competitions and young artist programs and summer programs and then you win the met competition and then ta-da mm. like in this very linear way but so few people actually walk that particular path mm. and that was definitely not the path for me so mine was very circuitous and I ended up going, um, I went to the University of New Hampshire for a year in a musicology master's program, basically because they gave me money to go there and I could still commute back to Boston to keep studying voice with my voice teacher. Mm -hmm. And that was gonna give me a little bit of time until I thought I was gonna go into a master's program for voice, but I ended up moving back to California. Mm -hmm. And so then I took non-music jobs for a while, mm -hmm. but I also started to teach voice a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then after a few years, I decided, you know, teaching voice was really what I was completely meant to do on this planet, but I was singing professionally as well. Mm -hmm. And thankfully the connections that I had from my upbringing from this choral program led me into a bunch of different professional opportunities. So I was able to make my solo paid solo debut in the Bay area right after I moved back and got a lot of work, singing work through that network. And then it just expands over time, but I was also growing my teaching and eventually did a master's degree in vocal pedagogy here in the Bay Area. Mm -hmm. And that led me to deepen my knowledge of working with singers. And then that led me ultimately to teach at the college level and in my private studio. So it kind of all, I came back to California. I was able to, to stay connected to the people who had nurtured me as a kid and now have like these amazing relationships 
as a colleague mm. and as an adult with many people who taught me when I was young. Love that. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's been, it's, as I think about it and as I talk about it, it really is awesome. Wow. <laughs> I feel incredibly fortunate. Then yoga comes into your life and you kind of yeah. meld that into singing and coaching singers. How did, how did yoga come into your life and how did all of that just like come together? Yeah, so the challenges that I alluded to um, in terms of anxiety, depression, um, and just sort of general difficulty when I was younger, a lot of that was rooted in my feelings about my body. So I was mm. not raised in an active family. Our family vacations every year were to go to New York and to see a show every night and go to museums all day. So like we were an arts family. That's what we loved to do. We were not like a let's go kick a ball around or let's go camping or hiking, which is fine. It just, that was not my comfort zone. Mm. And so I lived in my body in a way that I, I didn't feel very happy in it. I didn't feel very proud of it and I didn't feel very connected to it. So in, once I moved back to California, I decided it was time to make some significant lifestyle changes that I really needed to feel differently in my body. And especially if I was going to be an expressive performing artist, I needed to engage with my entire physical instrument and I needed to learn to love it frankly. I mean, I had to shift this relationship. So that led me to um, the first kind of movement practice I did was the daily method, which is a bar program. And it's very focused on alignment. So it's a combination of yoga and Pilates and orthopedic exercises, all kind of organized around ballet bar mm -hmm. stuff. And I um, was terrified when I first started, there was a mirror in the studio. So I like was seeing my body and seeing my red face like totally challenged and it was actually really emotional mm. but i went back the next day which was not my typical mo was if something was like challenging or made me feel ashamed i wouldn't want to do it again right but i mm. went something about this compelled me to go back and so that actually ended up being the first place where i felt strong where I felt capable, where I felt connected to my body, mm -hmm. proud of what my body could do. Um, so that was the beginning of it for me. And at the same time, I also started doing the couch to 5K. So doing like little bits of running and ultimately ended up um, running a lot more and, and running two full marathons and becoming a daily method instructor. So those first few years, I fell in love with these practices and then had a really incredible trajectory of starting to um, change my lifestyle. Mm. So that was the beginning of that. And it was around the same time that I was doing my master's in vocal ped. So I was having these really holistic embodied experiences, noticing how that was showing up in my singing. And I'm fortunate that that was really informing the way I took in information in my pedagogy masters, mm. because I think it, it ensured that I would have a more holistic and embodied approach to my voice teaching from that point forward. Um, so that ended up leading my, my teaching of daily method, interest in daily method, led me to just exploring a lot of other movement modalities. So more classical yoga, uh, myofascial release, which I'm sure we'll talk about, mm -hmm. um, therapy with, or um, self-massage with therapy balls. Um, I don't know, all other kinds of things. And I just, the more I learned, the more I realized how valuable these practices were for me in my body, in my voice. And then as I was in incorporating them into voice lessons, how useful they seemed to be for other people mm. as well. Yeah. You just mentioned myofascial release. Talk to us about yeah. that and how it's incorporated with your coaching of, your, of the singers that you work with. Totally. So myofascial release, if you, the most common type that people think about is a foam roller. So people like runners will foam or cyclists will foam roll their quadriceps, which is kind of just rolling back and forth on this big foam cylinder. Um, it can be intense if you've never done it before, mm -hmm. but there are other ways to do myofascial release specifically with like grippy small therapy balls about the size of a tennis ball or inflatable balls that can be used on um, areas that are more tender in the body, like the abdomen or the chest. So the inclusion of myofascial work the reason that I started working with it with singers was because I was doing it in my yoga practice. Mm. I had a teacher that, that incorporated in periodically and I would sing afterwards. I was like, Oh my gosh, my body feels so much freer. Mm. I have so much more access to, to the subtlety of movement. You know, vocal technique is so much about the nuance 
of movement, right? Being able to create a certain shape with the mouth and the vocal tract, mm. being able to adjust the way we receive the inhalation or the way we move the breath out of the body. Mm. So practices, specifically myofascial release, I felt primed my body to be able to do the things that I wanted it to do. It increased my awareness and sensitivity through that touch, but it also creates what's called slide and glide, which is when the muscle fibers themselves can move more easily. Mm. So if we have that feeling like when you wake up in the morning and maybe the body feels kind of tight and then you take like a big, like, or like a cat, like a big good morning stretch, mm. that's you responding to kind of adhesions or restriction in your fascia and the desire to just move and lubricate those tissues. Mm. So myofascial practice we can use in a targeted way on an area that maybe feels tight or restricted or dull, like a place where we don't feel much sensation. Mm -hmm. We can kind of wake it up through myofascial release. Um, and we can also use it to help calm and downregulate the nervous system. So it has potentially has a calming effect on, um, on the nervous system, taking us out of fight or flight and more towards the rest and digest receptive state. Mm. So it has kind of a mind body application as well. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm into it. That's yeah. I mean, everything is connected. I mean, it's you're in your body. Yeah. Everything is in your body. Talk about, you said, yeah. you said something on your um, website about the fascia being a, a conduit for the nervous system. Can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah, totally. So to take a step back about what fascia is, yeah. as opposed to what muscle is and myofascia, fascia is basically connective tissue. It's a, col a combination of collagen and elastin and some other substances. And basically fascia encapsulates every single muscle fiber in your body, every bone, every organ, everything has a sort of fascial sheath around it. Mm. So that interconnects all the different elements of your body from teeny tiny little muscle fibers to larger organs, all interconnected through fascia. Mm. And so the fascia, in fact, like if we took the, if we took your muscles away and your organs and your bones and your hair and everything that makes you look and feel like you and only left your fascia, we would still see your form. Mm. It's basically like the scaffolding, like the thing that holds everything in the body together. And so because it's this interconnected web, it transmits energy, it transmits signals from the brain to different parts of the body, the fascia communicates to the brain. So there's this sort of symbiotic um, communication network, the fascia transmits force in the body. So it communicates, um, like if we're walking and we're absorbing the forces of the ground, all of that is transmitted in the body through fascia. Mm. And pain sensations or other touch sensations are communicated with fascia. So when we think we're feeling like a tight muscle, we're usually actually feeling the fascia that's encapsulating those muscle fibers. Mm. Yeah. Wow. At one point. Is that a helpful answer? <laughs> yeah, that's, am that's amazing. Yeah. I, I love, you know, that level of depth, uh, you know, just, you know, thinking about singing and then all of this anatomic stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, when I yeah. learned about, um, you know, as I, I was in school and I had a, a coach and you get assigned a coach, you know, when you're in school, mm -hmm. as you know, and sure. um, he was very much about, and that was in the 90s, Lord, and, you know, he was very much about like um, anatomy and yeah. all of that, which I thought was wonderful. And yeah. so I would, you know, and I still think about my lungs, you know, when I'm inhaling and my you know my rib cage expanding yeah. and things contracting and my muscles supporting you know and everything just kind of being a part of it and my breath just sort of you know floating mm -hmm. my voice floating across my breath i mean i i kind of think of things oh, in that, that way you know yeah so it's it's wonderful to have this kind of depth uh of knowledge i think around singing and being a, a coach um I think so too. Yes. I think with anatomical learning, it can be really daunting. Yeah. So it's something that I love to communicate to people, and this has definitely been my experience, is that all learning is, is a nonlinear right. <laughs> and a layered process, right? And mm. so learning just like little bits here and there that can help inform the way that you live in your body, the way you use it as an instrument is great. And then as you're curious, you'll add more and more layers of knowledge, you'll go deeper into the areas that you're curious about. Um, but if people are sort of put off by 
learning about the anatomy because it feels somehow alienating or overwhelming. Just know like little bits are really helpful. And, and what you're describing, this like knowing about the lungs expanding and the feeling of the ribs moving, some people describe that as body mapping, mm. which is our, um, we all have a map of what we think is in our body and where it is and how it moves, right? And so often our body map of our external body is pretty well refined because we can see it. So like if I look at my arm, I know that my elbow can bring my hand to my shoulder. I know that my elbow cannot bring the back of my hand to my armpit. Right. Right. I know that I know about the mapping of that bone and that mm. joint. And part of the reason I know that is because I can see it. Right. You know, but for singers, we're using the body as a musical instrument and many essential components, pretty much all of them are internal. So getting a little bit of anatomy education about like where your larynx is and how it moves or like where your lungs actually are and how the ribs move and how the spine moves. Like just know, getting some of that anatomical information and then doing practices that help you experience that in your yes. body, developing your interoception, which is your sense of what's going on, what it feels like inside the body. That's really essential. Mm. So we can learn the stuff from a book, but then we really need to find ways that we can experience yes. it um, in a more sense sense based way. Uh, yes, I love this. So yeah. uh, so if I have my first lesson with you, how uh -huh. are you? What is a typical session like? Um, how are you introducing all of this to me? And then yeah, how are you? Yeah, are you that's a good question. In? Yeah, yeah, totally. I, it depends on the person. Like, so now at this point in my career, a lot of people who are coming to me um, to want to work individually with their voice know kind of my my point of view and know that I incorporate some of these other modalities. So if they already know that that's part of it, like people who have done some of the myofascial practices on Instagram and then they want to be a private student of mine, um, we might incorporate that stuff right away if they have familiarity with it. If not, you know, my a first lesson with me now is pretty similar to what it kind of always has been over the last nearly 20 years that I've been teaching, which is we'll start with talking about what what they're interested in what's currently happening with their voice like what they kind of where they want to start and then we'll vocalize um, and kind of see where it goes from there so in a first lesson i might incorporate some movement if i sense that that would be beneficial in terms of creating you know space in the body or energy in the body probably not going to do myofascial in the first session unless they want to, but we will likely like stretch our jaw and stretch our tongue, or maybe do a little self-massage with the hands, kind of little dipping the toes in. And then I'll ask them, you know, I'll tell them about the different modalities that we can incorporate into their work mm -hmm. and assess their interest. Um, because these are really tools in a toolbox and they all have great value, but some people are interested in some things and some others. Mm. Yeah. What would you consider uh, maybe your toughest case that's come to you? Have you had any really tough ones oh. and, and what kind of progress did they make? Oh, that's interesting. Um, tough it, tough in what way? Um, maybe in experiencing, uh, connecting with their body or maybe they had some vocal health issues mm -hmm. that they had to get beyond and use, you know, and kind of use um, this sort of myofascial practice release um, in it, you know, yeah. has that like applied to any or have you had anybody come in with like maybe some, um, I want to say vocal loss, but like, a, uh, that's not exactly what it is, but like some damage or <laughs> something like that has has yeah. that been the case for you? Have, has anybody come in with like really, you know, just a difficult, like you've, you've been like, oh Lord, I don't know how I'm going <laughs> to, what I'm going to yeah, do Yeah, I mean, I've definitely worked with people who, yeah. who are in a rehabilitation phase okay. after, yeah. you know, yeah, after having vocal injury. I work, um, a lot of my individual studio is um, singers who are, you know, in their 60s and beyond. Mm -hmm. And so many of them are, are um, 
experiencing kind of some changes in their voice, but also experiencing decades of singing with particular habits and then wanting to make shifts to those habits. Right. So yeah, I think one singer who comes to mind that I've worked with for a long time, she had always, always, always sung alto, like sung alto two, really pretty heavy chest dominant production, really beautiful sound and had basically never, ever sung above you know, G in the middle of the staff, like had not, had not accessed really any head voice at all. Mm. And over the years that we have worked together, it's become apparent that she was really built as like a high coloratura. I mean, her voice just innately sits really high and she had just never accessed that part of her voice mm. before. So our time together has been fascinating in first, just exploring what it's like to sing in an, in an area of her voice that she's never accessed after literally decades of great singing. I mean, this is a choral singer who's done, she's probably done the B minor mass a hundred times, you know? So this is someone with a lot of experience and very ingrained habits that were probably not what her voice was optimally designed to do, mm -hmm. even though it did work for her and she enjoyed it. So, so the first kind of phase of that was just opening up and that involved, um, you know, some technique work in terms of shifting the way she used the instrument, but then also stretching myofascial just to get used to opening in the way that she needed to, to access that part of her voice. And this is also a singer um, who lives in her body in a very strong way. She has a really fabulous and strong and willful personality. Mm -hmm. So for her, to come into balance, to gain access to her full vocal potential and capacity had to actually soften mm. a lot, you know, and this is, a, and I really identified with her because it's like, I think many singers have this temperament of like, tell me how to do it right. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it with all effort and all energy, yeah. you know, but we know that the body, in addition to being strong, has to be elastic. It had, we need space. We need flexibility, you know, to be able to use this instrument. And so with her, there was a lot of exploration hmm. of things that were very unfamiliar. So going into this upper range, but then also softening her abdomen, softening the side body and the chest through movement, through stretching, through hmm. myofascial. Um, and then ultimately the biggest challenge for us was then integrating those two registers. Mm. And this was a singer who, you know, in the passaggio and the passage zone as chest voice and head voice are integrating and blending, could basically could not phonate. She like would make no sound mm. in that range. And now she is like sliding between the registers, but this has been a years, many years unfolding process. Mm. Uh, yeah, so I would say that's been, I mean, fantastic. I just saw her yesterday and I love working oh. with her. But yeah, I mean, I think what my point of view when I'm working with somebody is, is helping them to start to ask what would bring me into balance with myself and what would bring me into balance with the music that I'm singing. So if I'm someone who comes to singing with like tons of effort, tons of drive, tons of energy, body is really strong, body's really contracted, though that's great. Like that's totally essential and necessary. But what what practices, what vocal exercises, what repertoire, what movements, etc will be beneficial to help that person experience different sensations that they can also draw on. Mm. And if somebody is like more sort of chilled out and hypo energized and the body is very loose and very relaxed, then we might be doing things to feel more strength, more energy. You know, it's about coming into balance. Mm. I love that. That makes me yeah. think of there, there was one period where, you know, I was just singing loud and I was <laughs> all the time, everything uh -huh. was like, you yeah. know, I, I think there was a lot going on there. And, and along with, you yeah. know, an imbalance, you know, in, in my voice, I think there was just kind of a, a soul level imbalance. There was this. Well, that was where that was where your expressivity was yeah. at that time. I mean, what you're saying, and I completely believe this, is that the voice is the expression of the instrument that created it, mm -hmm. which seems obvious, but like whatever is going on for you in your mind, in your emotional life and in your physical body is gonna show up in your sound. Mm, that's amazing. That is so amazing. It is, I mean, it is it's yeah, it's incredible. Like, Something I've been, yeah. yeah. No, I was Something saying, I've been working sorry. with a lot. Oh no, <laughs> you go ahead, sorry. No, I was just saying, and yet it is so simple. Of course it would. 
you know, yeah. but if that's just like ding, 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 you know, yeah. but I'm sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's something I've been working with a lot is in, to organize um, the way that we approach interpretation and how we embody the interpretation of a character or a poem that we're singing or, or something that we've written ourselves. I work with a lot of people who write their own music um, is organizing intelligence, thinking of we have our cognitive intellectual intelligence that's sort of centered in the mind. If we think about like trying to solve a really confusing problem, we almost like furrow our brow, you know, the head gets really tight and hot. It's like, you know, when your computer is too hot and it's like processing, right? So that's, so the head is pretty much the seat of the intellect. It's not that we don't experience, you know, intellect in other parts of our body, but that's kind of where it lives. Many people believe that the area of the chest, the area around the heart is the seat of our emotional lives. So if we think about mm. the experience of joy or the experience of tenderness or the experience of grief, a lot of those are emotions that we often also have physical sensation in kind of the upper part of the torso. Again, it doesn't mean that we don't feel other things in the body when we experience those emotions, but many people experience them kind of collected in that area. And that, so we have emotional intelligence in addition to our intellectual intelligence. And then we also have like instinct, what many people would call gut instinct. And that often is collected sort of in the abdominal area, mm. that feeling of being assured or confident or righteous or committed, you know, has kind of a deeper, lower embodied quality. Mm. So something I'm working with a lot with singers these days is looking at our music and kind of asking, is this an intellect piece? Is this a heart piece? Is this an instinct piece? Is it, you know, a combination? And when singers connect more to the, to the sort of intellectual center of the piece, mm. it totally changes the voice. Right. So for an example, like if somebody is thinking a lot, like they're trying to remember the notes and rhythms or they're trying to remember the words or something, often the sound will have kind of a lighter, brighter, headier sort of quality. And then say that piece is like about like conviction and authority and you get them connected to that aspect in the body often the tone almost always becomes like richer, deeper, sturdier, fuller, the different qualities that we would associate with that strength in the body mm. show up in the sound. It's pretty wow. wild. Wow. And it's not, I mean, it's not every single time. And this is just one way to organize thinking about this. But um, I found it to be really helpful to just acknowledge that we have these three centers of intelligence. We have this cognitive intellectual intelligence, we have emotional intelligence, and we have instinctive intelligence. And every person tends to lead in their life more with one of those. So that's another way we bring ourselves into balance is like, what am I bringing to the table? What is this piece bringing to the table in terms of its content? And how do we bring those into alignment and balance with each other? Ah, I love it. Yeah, it's fun. It. And so this is where like the myofascial work or the movement work can come into play because say you have the sense that this piece is like really a heart piece. And this person maybe has a practice posture of bringing the shoulders in. So there's some tightness across the chest and maybe some compression. Mm -hmm. So you can do stretches to open that up, which we know helps with breathing too, because that's the location of the lungs, but also can help to shift the energetics of that area so that the person can access that center more readily. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's not the right time to access that. You know, because sometimes it will tap into something that is intense and in the purview of the voice lesson or a movement class, you know, sometimes these things come up and that's fine, but we're not necessarily qualified to truly hold space. Like say trauma is coming through as you're doing some kind of exploration. You want to be supportive, but also be able to offer resources to people who can, who can really help them beyond your scope. Oh, I love that. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it's just not the right time. We do have to accept yeah. that, don't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that. tears yeah. tears happen in the voice studio. Tears happen when we do myofascial release. You know, yes. again, like the, the chest often being kind of the seat of a lot of emotional energy. Yes. We might do, let me pull it up, like 
So here's a little inflatable gorgeous ball. This is a ball that I use all the time for myofascial release to liberate the breath. Mm. So we'll use this on the chest or the abdomen or the intercostals, but even, even just rolling an inflatable ball or a rolled up towel on the chest, all of a sudden, like stuff can come mm. up. It doesn't always, but it certainly can. And it's, and yeah, is that always comfortable? No, you know, yeah. these, some of these emotions are uncomfortable, but ultimately if we are expressive artists, that's all the richness of our voice and the richness of our artistry is in that authentic embodied experience. Mm. So if we can safely and kindly access all of what we hold in our bodies and minds and bring it forth in the music, that's when I think the music is just the most magical, mm. right? Absolutely. Yeah. Tell us about um, any workshops you have coming up. Ooh. Well, I'm right in the middle of a workshop series, but people can still have four, but people can still register for the last two. So we, uh, they were called pathways to presence. And there were four different ways that we can come into presence into the present moment. So we started with um, some gentle yoga and movement and yoga nidra, which is yogic sleep. It's a guided, it's like trippy guided meditation mm -hmm. that I love that kind of brings you into the space between consciousness and sleep. So we did that first. And then we did intro to myofascial release. Those are still available actually you can purchase the um, video. So I can, those are available. And then the next two are um, intro to restorative yoga. So restorative yoga is uh, the way that, the way that I teach restorative yoga and was trained to teach it are um, positions or shapes that we create with the body with a lot of support in the case of at home practice, like bed pillows, blankets, rolled up towels, things like that. Um, to give us a chance to, to feel the body and to rest in different shapes. So we'll do that. And then um, intro to meditation mm. is the last one. And meditation, we haven't talked about, but that's a huge part of, of my own practice mm. and a huge part of embodied as well. Um, I think that meditation, some kind of meditative practice for singers is really the game changer. Oh my goodness. Can I just say <laughs> that's, a whole, I, that's a whole other podcast. It is. I'll say a, an itty yeah. bit because uh, I don't want to keep you forever. But you know, I oh, I, I, I can talk about this stuff all day. Keep me. Um, but I've just started really incorporating it into my own life and my own experience, just life in general. Just dealing, especially yeah. in this past year, because it, you know, was so up and down. But I have to say, and I've, I've meditated before, you know, in years past, but I don't think I really, really started meditating until this year, you know, yeah. and really just, I don't know, connecting. It's another level. I was just saying this on a, on a, on my last, you know, solo episode. I was, just, I, you know, it's a habit that I will continue past, you know, this quarantine, I, you know, yeah. it's just been, um, centering. So grounding. Yeah. What is, just say a little bit about, you know, what it's done for you in, in your own life. Oh yeah. I mean, I, where do I start? But yeah, I will say like you, I had, I had um, meditated sort of off and on, or like, I'll put this in air quotes, tried to meditate at various points before it really took hold and actually became this very, very influential part of my life. Mm. So yeah. So with, with teaching meditation, one of the most important things that I want people to know is that your mind is designed to get distracted. Your mind is designed to move. So when you're meditating and your mind gets distracted that, and you realize that that's happened and you come back to presence, that is the practice of meditation. Yeah. And I think so many people will try it and their mind is busy and they think that they're not doing it correctly or they're failing or they're bad at it. And they're like, I can't meditate. And it's like, no, you are, you're meditating. No, there's no such thing as perfect, but you're meditating perfectly because you are noticing that you're getting distracted. Like that's mm. it. It's simply being present with your mind. And we might use different anchors of concentration, like paying attention to the breath or scanning the body for sensation or, you know, repeating a mantra or phrases. Like there are many ways to organize yourself while you're doing a meditation practice, but ultimately they're all about presence they're all about letting go and coming back to presence, letting go, coming back, letting go, coming back. And for a singer, mm -hmm. 
singing is presence. It, it requires the ultimate level of presence. And there are a million things that are pulling your mind away from your musical intention. Mm -hmm. If you're making music with other people, right? We have to be receptive to everything that everyone else is doing. We have to be receptive to the fact that there's an audience potentially that we're sharing our music with. And then we're also managing all the different sensations and thoughts coming up for us while we're singing. But the focus of concentration mm -hmm. is the sound you wanna make, uh, is that intent or the story you wanna tell, it's that intention. So when we can have a practice outside of singing that helps us to learn how to let go of other things and come back to our intention, then we can take from that container of that separate practice, we can then apply it to the singing. Uh, and it, for me, I think the two things that are most significant for me in my life from my meditation practice, one is um, that it has created a sense of space between stimulation and my response to it. So rather than being like overwhelmed by thoughts and feelings and then just reacting to them, I now feel like there's this buffer of space in which I can see oh yeah, this is what's coming at me. This mm. is what's happening. Oh yeah, this is the way I typically respond to it. Mm. And in that space, there's choice. Mm. And so what shows up in performance is like, I, I have struggled with performance anxiety my entire life and career. Mm. And now when I am flooded with adrenaline and my heart is beating faster and my body is contracting, first of all, I understand that from an anatomical level. So I'm much more forgiving of the fact that those natural impulses are happening. Mm. But also now I have the space to observe like, okay, this is what's happening in my body. I know that my abdomen is, is gripping right now, that it's trying to protect me. Mm. I'm going to soften my abdomen. And then if it doesn't soften right away, I'm like, that's okay. I'm going to try again. And mm. I just have more space for that. Uh. The other way that meditation has really changed my life and my heart um, is I in particular do the metta loving kindness practice, which is where you basically repeat three or four phrases along the lines of, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you live with ease, may you be free, things like that. And you say them mentally in your head to different categories of people. So classically you would do yourself first, then you would do a benefactor, like a teacher or a, or someone who's helped you in some way. Mm -hmm. Then you do um, a loved one, like a friend or family member or pet, then you do a neutral person, like somebody, maybe the person who delivers your mail or someone you, you know, a, a parent of your kid's friend or someone like that, someone you don't really know, but you know of, then you do a difficult person mm. and then you do all beings everywhere. Mm. So you practice offering freely these well wishes to all different types of people. And for me, that has created such a greater sense of generosity and interconnectedness in me that mm. as someone who can be very self-protective and kind of enclosed, I think all the practices that I do are all me searching for a sense of openness and connectedness mm. and helping people experience the same, yeah. including a generosity and connectedness to ourselves and our own voice. Um, mm. So that practice for me has been just really, really important. Shauna, you've just done like, you've had 10 mic drops within. Ah. <laughs> oh my God. I love oh, it. <laughs> yay. I'm so glad. That's yeah. Amazing. I mean, I saw, I have to bring this up on my phone so that I quote it correctly, yeah. but this, someone posted this thing on Instagram and I reposted it, but it said, oh yeah, it was Light Watkins, who's this wonderful meditation teacher and post great stuff. Um, he said, don't worry about finding your purpose. Just follow your curiosity and your purpose will find you. Mm. And I really, when I read that, I was like, yes, that has been the unfolding of my life as, as a person, as a musician, as an educator, et cetera. And I'm almost like, okay, purpose, like stop finding me. I have enough purposes. <laughs> like I just, there are just always so many new things to learn that yeah. are so interesting and valuable. Um, so it's really my pleasure to like get to talk to them and talk to you about them and share that. Ah, I love it. And people can find, you know, oh, let's, did I ask you where we can find you online and all this? Cause you've got a lot of resources on your website and I know you're on Insta. Yeah. So tell us where we can find you. 
Totally. So um, my website, www.embodied, with a D at the end, singer, embodiedsinger.com. That is um, the easiest place to find out kind of about these practices. And then over on the right of the header, there's embodied online. So if you click on that, you'll see a big library of about a little over a hundred videos of myofascial practices, movement practices, meditation and breath practices, and some voice instruction, just like little shorty videos. So that's the best place to find that content. Um, and then I'm pretty active on Instagram. I try to create unique stuff that's just on Instagram. And my handle is at Embodied Singer. And looking forward, actually today, I launched a monthly membership, Embodied Monthly, that is going to be a combination of live classes and um, video class like on-demand archive and videos. So I'm doing a beta test with about 15 people right now, singers, but also some flute players are doing that because you know for wind players there's tons of overlap too so i have sure. some wind players in the mix really fun um and that beta test is going on from april to june so then after june it will open up and be um, a monthly opportunity for everybody so all that stuff will be on my website and be on instagram as it's unfolding but i just really really love to support people as they especially if they're wanting to try something new, mm -hmm. but they're not sure where to start or they feel like nervous. I always just remember my first daily method class and just how much I wish someone had told me like, yes, everything that you're feeling is totally normal. I'm here for you, you're doing it. So I love to be that support for people as they try new things. Yeah. So they can always DM me or email um, embodiedsinger at gmail.com. I'm happy to geek out about this stuff too. Yes, I yeah. love, love, love it. That was wonderful. All the things. Thank you so much for joining us today. So my pleasure. Thank you, Jamila. Awesome, Yay. thank you. Wow, guys, I so enjoyed that and I hope you did too, loved it. So. The singing lessons. Number one, all learning is a nonlinear and layered process. As you're curious, you'll add more and more layers. Number two, if we can safely and kindly access all of what we hold in our bodies, we can bring it forth in the music. That's when I think the music is most magical. Number three, singing is presence. It requires the ultimate level of presence, and there are a million things that are pulling your mind away from your musical intention. Number four, when we have a practice outside of singing that helps us to learn how to let go of other things and come back to our intention, then we can take from that container of that separate practice and we can apply it to the singing. Love it. All right. Again, I hope that you enjoyed that. So visit the show notes at theworkingsingerpodcast.com to get these singing lessons and other information that we mentioned on the show. Um, join the Facebook group, the Working Singer Podcast community, and like the Working Singer Podcast Facebook page. Follow me on the social medias uh, at Jamila Ford Music or at the Working Singer Podcast and visit my website, jamilaford.com. Also, if you have a guest you'd like me to consider or subject you'd like covered, please contact me at hi at theworkingsingerpodcast.com. And as always, please leave a lovely review or, well, not or, and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. All these things really do help move the podcast up in the ranks. And we just want to be able to get all this information to more singers because this, this can be one lonely track. So share that with your singer friends. All right, you guys. Have a great rest of the week. I really do mean that. And I do mean it when I say I love you, I appreciate you, and I will talk to you again next week. Have a wonderful one. <laughs>